It is my favorite day. It is judgment day. Angel? Yes, I know you love this day. It is my favorite day ever. We have some people, I understand, that have passed. We do, and we have some great new additions to heaven. I can't wait to get to these. They're awesome. You're going to be so excited. Good. I always love it when we get more angels in heaven. Tell me loudly the first name. The first name, the first candidate is Mark Anderson. Mark Anderson? Yeah, Mark Anderson. I thought you said we had good people. (laughs) Mark Anderson's phenomenal. He's a great dad. He's working the camera right now. Mark, right now he's working the camera. He volunteers. Do you know what he does for a living? Well, he's the cameraman at West. I wish that was what he did for a living. Actually, we don't pay him here at West. Um, He's a volunteer. Do you know what he does for a living to earn income for those children that he's a great dad for? He sells liquor. (laughs) He is a liquor distributor. And do you know what kind of liquor that makes it even a little more poignant? Tequila. (laughs) Tequila makes her clothes fall off. Tequila, also known as hooch. Tequila, Patron. Wait, he sells Patron? He sells... You cannot go befriend him now. Can he just stop by? No, he cannot just stop by. Just a sip. No. Mark Anderson, here is the decree for him. Hell. I thought you said we had good people. I see some more cards. Yes, yes. This one's awesome. Ed Landis. Ah, now there we go, Ed Landis. He is such a kind man. He goes on every mission trip. He is one of the most selfless people. And he, you know what he did for a living? He like saved people's bodies and their hearts. He was like some kind of fancy surgeon. So he has lived a life of godliness. He's in it. Ed Landis, heaven. I just love that sound. I do too. Next. Okay. You can't go wrong with this. Ready? Yes, I am. Faye Carrasca. If y'all haven't noticed, I am the judge here. So I do not know why you find it necessary to welcome these people into my place. Heaven. Hmm. Faye Carrasca, I think you all are a little misguided. <laughs> Faye? Faye. Eleanor Carrasca, her legal birth yeah, name? Yeah, 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 I know, I know. Faye Carrasca, uh-uh, not she, heaven. She prays for everybody all the time. She's she does? She's on the staff of the church. She is on staff She's at the church. She's going to be at the food truck today. She's always at the food she truck. She serves, frankly, if it weren't for her and a couple other people, the food truck wouldn't make it. So, yeah, I, don't I see appreciate a that. I don't see a problem with Faye Carrasca. <sighs> Do you know what she did for a living? She work on a food truck? Early? No, we don't pay her to do that. We pay her to pray for people I and visit them when they're sick. I know, I know. She's pastoral care for the church. Now, 
you can't earn your way into heaven. So in her early years, Faye was a go-go dancer. She sure was. And if you watch her during the worship music, she feels that music. And she has channeled those moves into appropriate actions. But back in her younger days, you think people of our generation and younger gyrate to the music? Faye did that. So the decree for Faye. Faye, I'm sorry. I tried. Hell. That go-go dancing will get you every time. All right. Ready? Yep. Can't go wrong next. Uh, you said that all along. I know. Emma Ragland. Ah, there. I told you people, you don't get to judge, but okay. You keep trying to judge, which is the whole problem with this universe thing. But you are correct. Emma Ragland, the voice of an angel. She does. Hey, when she gets to heaven... I want to make sure she's in that heavenly host, that choir of angels. I will angels. hook her up. All right, very good. Emma Ragland, heaven. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Good, all right. That's it for today. No, you have. This, one doesn't, this one's not important. We just can, we don't need to do this one. If they need to get to heaven or the other place, the bad place, then we need to act on this last one. Please go ahead with the name. Uh-huh. Who is it? John Gatlin. <laughs> you probably know a lot about him. Weren't y'all related in your former life? Yes, and he's awesome. <laughs> hmm. Uh-uh. Is that all you got? Hmm. I know what he did in a former life, too. He was a doctor, mm -hmm. so he, like, helped people be better and be Just healthy. Just some things are coming back to memory. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I've seen some of the things that he does in his private time. I wanted you all to see that as well. Take a look. <laughs> Who wants to drink milk out of a jug when someone has chugged it? or orange juice, or any type of beverage when they drink out of it. You would think as a doctor, he would know the health concerns that that poses. That and he is... leaves the door open. Oh, well, you're, that's bad for the creation, all of God's creation. Oh, that's the first thing. Then the second thing, welcome to my world. He just sits on that iPad all the time. He does not help around the house. He doesn't do anything. The dirty clothes just pile up around him. Do you agree with me on you this? You sit it where you want to, sister. All right, ready? John Gatlin, hell. Oh. Thank you. Thank you for the end of a great day.
So one of the things in the shack is that Mac, after his little girl was tragically killed, he had so much hatred in his heart. And at some point in the movie, about midway through, after he had encountered Papa, that was his wife's name for God the Father, and he had encountered Jesus, and he had encountered Sarah Yu, that was the presence of the Holy Spirit. After he encountered all three of those entities and parts of God, he then, he's still, you know, just wrestling with this pain and this, this hate and anger that he has, and surely we can understand that, right? When bad things happen to people that we love, we feel those things. We start blaming other people. And so he encounters this thing called wisdom. And we are going to talk about that. In the movie, it was called Sophia, the wisdom of God. And, and he went there and wisdom said, okay, today is judgment day, Mac. And at first in the book, we see that Mac feels like uh, he's dead. He's in this surreal experience. And so maybe he is dead after all. And, and this is what the afterlife looks like. And actually, Sophia says to him, no, no, this is not your judgment day when you stand before God. Uh, this is judgment day. You have blamed God for this. And it's what has come in between you and God. You've blamed God for this. So now I want you to sit in this judgment seat, which we parodied just a few minutes ago. And, and I'm so glad that you actually did, you know, participate and, and cheer and Actually, now I'm going to share something with you that you're not going to like to hear. I don't like to hear it. It's a convicting thing. But guess what? We all do that. We all judge others. We all blame others. I do this stuff too. In fact, yesterday morning, Saturday, uh, by 8 a.m., I had already been up, going to the grocery store, got back, and I had so many things laid out that I wanted to do for the rest of the day. I needed to get my doctorate presentation. Tomorrow night, I present it to a church, and so I needed to nail that down. I needed to finish up. I always review the message and write some devotions and study for small group, and so I had my day laid out the way I wanted it to be. It was the first Saturday I got to just hang out at home in a really, really, really long time, so when I drove in the garage, I was so excited because I had this plan for what the day was going to look like. And I want you to see a picture of actually what I encountered once I drove into the garage. You will see the door of the hot water heater closet that is in our garage. When I drove in, I thought, hmm, there looks to be some moisture over the roof of the door. And so I thought, that's probably not good. I'd hoped that just the little moisture that I saw on the top of the door jam was going to be all that I found. So it was not. I walked on out and uh, opened. I had to pry open the door, actually. And then this is what I found. It is a polka dotted door. I love polka dots, except when they are mold. The hot water heater had sprung a leak. And it had sprung a leak for apparently quite some time. So my Saturday, I saw it dwindling away because clearly, number one, you have to fix the hot water heater. And number two, you have to get all the, the mold off the door. So I called Scott. He was on his way home from the gym. And I said, you know, we have, we have a surprise waiting for us. And so as soon as I got off the phone, then I immediately did what I think all of us do if we're honest with ourselves. I began to blame for why this had happened. It was Scott's father's fault. That was my conclusion. 
because back in August of 2011, our other hot water heater had ruptured, and so Scott's dad was kind enough to come and help Scott install a new hot water heater, and I decided that it was their fault, that this had happened, and that my whole Saturday was ruined because Scott's dad hooked up the hot water heater incorrectly. I blamed him for all of this. Now, keep in mind, I knew I was preaching on blame the next day. So, you know, after a few minutes of being unhappy about Scott's dad, I thought, okay, it's not really his fault. Then I thought, okay, it's Scott's fault instead. And then I realized, because he asked his dad, why didn't we just buy, you know, pay a plumber and pay a professional to come do this? And then I realized that was illogical thinking. Scott's dad has lots of experience with things like this and is very gifted in that area. So then I blamed Whirlpool or whoever the manufacturer was for the hot water heater. So I was going through this list of people to blame. And then I realized, you know what? Sometimes just bad things happen. Sometimes, you know, things break, they don't work anymore, and that's a very innocent and silly story about blame. But we all blame. We blame each other. We blame the government. We blame our kids' teachers. When our kids don't get the grade that we think they should get, we blame them. Uh, coaches, we blame coaches for our favorite teams not winning, or maybe we blame the refs for not making the right calls, or we blame coaches for our kids not having enough playing time. We blame our bosses when our work environments are not what we think we should be, or perhaps we don't feel like we're being paid what we should be. We, we place blame and we make judgments. And then ultimately, at times in our lives, we blame God especially when we go through difficult and tragic circumstances, just like Mac did in the shack. He lost a kid. That, I do believe we can all agree, is one of the most horrific things that, that we can live through, and he blamed God for that. How can God be all good and loving and powerful and serial killers exist so Mac blames God and places judgment on God as God being not good. How can there be a good God? Well, there isn't. Mac judged God as not good because of the pain that he was going through. If you read in the book of James, you will see that the author of James writes that there is only one judge. There's only one lawmaker. And, and that lawmaker, that judge is God. And then the author of James goes on to write, who are we to judge our neighbor? So this morning, I want us to think about that for just a few minutes. Who are we to judge our neighbor and who are we to judge God? I would like for us to look within ourselves, each of us, because again, remember, we all place blame and we place judgment. Even when stupid, silly things like hot water heaters burst, we blame somebody Sometimes we blame other people and we place judgment on situations and on other people because we don't want to deal with the stuff and the guilt that we have going on inside. In fact, when we feel guilty and when we feel like tr truthfully we've got a part to play in something, then I think you'll find that we end up blaming others even more and it gets in the way. I want you to take a look at this brief clip from The Shack. Um, 
we'll, we'll get to the quote in just a minute. But I want us to take a look at this clip when Mac actually goes before Sophia, the wisdom, and, and what she says to him about this, this place and this situation that he finds himself in. Take a look. Do you want me to say it? Absolutely. God is to blame. Well, if it's so easy for you to judge God, you must choose one of your children to spend eternity in heaven. The other will go to hell. So Mac finds himself before God or before the wisdom part of God, Sophia, and, and she's having him look within after he moves past the fact that he's not there for judgment and he admits, you know, I blame God. God is to blame for all this. She makes him, and, and the part in the movie and the book goes much deeper into this, but we didn't have time to show all that or, or read it to you. He shows... The author of The Shack shows that Mac engages in this conversation and wisdom keeps pulling at him to maybe take a step back from his own immediate circumstance of pain and agony and look at the world and look at the universe in a much bigger view. Because remember, we have put our human constraints and our human understanding of God on God, even with things like judging and trying to understand why these tragic things happen. And so we view God as a judge in our own minds in the way that we judge one another. We think that because we judge each other and attribute things to right or wrong or good or bad or, you know, all those characteristics that we judge people by, we assume that God judges us and all of creation and all of humanity in the same way. And so this morning, that's what I want us to push back a little with. The fact that perhaps maybe God judges us differently. We do know that or we believe that God is a judge and that when this life on earth here is done and we, we complete that process, that journey of life, and we are at one with God, we have been atoned, we find ourselves at one with the presence of God, that there is a judgment component about that. And we find examples of that in the scripture. Later on this summer, we're going to do a brief series on the afterlife, and we're going to talk about the actual judgment day and what scripture says about that and heaven and hell in a, in a different message series. But this morning, I really wanted us to walk away with perhaps a little bit of a broader understanding of how God judges us. Because I think if we would accept that perhaps God looks at creation and humanity differently than we do in our pain and in our guilt, in our anger, in our doubt, then maybe we would understand the heart of God a little more. And maybe if we would understand the heart of God a little more when we find ourselves in the middle of all of those circumstances, we would have a different perspective on how we live through them. Because that's the ultimate goal, right? That when we face the worst things, that they don't become the last things. 
we talked about in the small group that we do before worship this morning, the, the garden scene that was in the shack and Mac goes with Sarah Yu, the Holy Spirit, into this garden and it's this beautiful, beautiful garden and it's got all these flowers but then you start to look and there's all of this, these weeds and this undergrowth that's like choking out some of the flowers and so Mac and the Holy Spirit, they start digging up some of the roots of the plants and clearing out a space. That is a beautiful metaphor for what we have to do when we look at God differently and see God as perhaps not this God of vengeance and this mean God that's sitting up there just waiting for us to, you know, do something like go-go dance in a, in a former part of our journey. You know, we think God's up there just waiting on us to mess up so God can lower that gavel and go, damn you to hell. But we believe that Jesus reveals to us in tangible ways the heart of God, that Jesus, the person of Jesus that came and walked among us and and taught and healed and did all these miracles, we believe that that is the heart of God. And so if we will look at Jesus, then we'll see how God judges us. So back to Mac when he's in that wisdom scene with Sophia, because he is so quick to judge God and so quick to place blame. She says, okay, I tell you what, you're not here to be judged. You be the judge. You be the judge. Isn't that what we all like? Because it gives us so much power and control. It felt good standing up here behind that podium with the gavel. I'm not going to lie. Come try on the preacher robe. Hold the gavel. You'll feel important. When we judge, that's what we do. We are feeding our power. We're feeding our egos. We're feeding our need for control. And so Sophia says to Mac, here, you be the judge. All right, so now you're up here in your judge kind of place. Who are you going to send to hell? I want you to pick two of your kids, two of your other children, and one gets to go to heaven and one gets to go to hell. And Mac's like, I can't do that. And she's like, well, yeah, you have to. And so it's, it's a powerful part of the movie. I really invite you to go see it if you, if you haven't. She keeps pushing him. And, and the more she pushes and says, you have to choose. You have to choose who goes to heaven. And you have to choose one of your children that you love so, so much. You have to make them go to hell. Which we believe is separation from God. You choose. Who you love goes to heaven, and you choose who you love that goes to hell. And so Max struggles and struggles and finally just, you know, sort of blows up and says, I can't do it. And she said, good, good. You don't have to. And then she goes on to describe for him how God sees all of us, all of us, even those of us that do evil things. God sees all of us as children of God and the justification happened through the person of Christ when he, he willingly sacrificed his life for us. And the redemption part, that's up to God. And so Max said, you know, what do you mean? You mean that killers are gonna go to heaven? Killers? And so, you know, of course he's referring to the man that killed his daughter, right? You mean somebody that would kill a little girl is going to be in heaven. And so she asked him this. 
Would you feel any differently about him, the killer, if you knew that as a small child he was sexually abused by his father, mercilessly? Would that make you view him any differently? And then Mac paused. You know, there's so much more to everything than we can see. There's so much more to every person, to every situation. And so, you know, when we start playing God and placing blame and placing judgment, you know, we, our humanity really gets in the way because we're not God and we don't understand. And, you know, psychologists that study the, the function of humanity, they have a broader perspective, but even they are not perfect. You know, everybody acts out of their own reality everyone. And so the ladybug killer, you know, they share with us that he was sexually abused. I imagine that messed him up and he probably never got counseling for it. And who knows what the rest of his childhood was like. So he took all that ick and he turned inward and he became a killer. He used his life for evil. Yes, he did that. And God will figure that out. God will end up justifying that and redeeming it. And we don't know how God does all that. And we don't have to. We just know that that's not up to us. That that is up to God. And when we can take those things and take those feelings of blame and anger and judgment and give them to God... That's when we find healing and that's when we find peace. That's when we rip up those roots from the ground like in the movie in the garden. And and that soil is ready to receive new seeds that can grow and bloom into beautiful things. That's, That's called grace. It's this gift. It's this free gift that's offered to all of us. We don't deserve it. It is unmerited. We all, all of us receive it. Not some. All of us receive that gift of grace and that grace is at work in our lives long before we even know God. And God is is pulling at us through that grace to lead us into relationship with God. And we're all about grace, right? We love grace until we see somebody else that we don't think deserves it getting it. And then we don't like grace anymore. Who are they to receive God's grace? That's how Mac felt. Why should a killer receive God's grace? And that's how he really felt until wisdom pushed him to see a little differently. I've shared with you before, uh, about a year and a half ago, that my father, uh, my only living parent, uh, he's in his mid to late 80s. And a year and a half ago, he got grabbed up in some kind of senior adult scam. And these people started calling him on the phone, asking him for money, telling him that he won the sweepstakes. Now, I've been through the whole thing. And he's, it's not dementia. We've done all the testing and all that kind of stuff. Scott and I got involved. We took him to court. Social services did all kinds of mental testing. He is a fully functioning and capable human being. He has an addiction. That's the bottom line. The man has an addiction to gambling. They keep telling him, if you'll give us just a little bit more money, then guess what? You have won millions of dollars. And my father is naive enough to believe and arrogant enough to believe that 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 is true. 
And so all these people have told him that's not true. The sheriff of Caldwell County came, sat down with him, said, Mr. Fair, this is not real, blah, 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 blah. So here we are a year and a half later. Nine months ago was the last time I ever spoke to my dad. Father's Day. And he totally laid me out for, you know, taking him to court and all that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, Daddy, I love you enough that if you keep doing it, I will do it again. If I can prove that you are still doing this, I will take you to court again. And this time I won't drop the case. I will sue for, for full guardianship. And so then after that, he wouldn't have anything else to do with me. Now that hurts a lot. I love my father. But, but he's got some stuff going on in his head right now and, and he won't listen to reason. And so, you know, I had to learn to let that go. Well, this past Wednesday, he called. And because I have this like innate hope that that relationship will be reconciled, even though I knew better, I answered my phone. And it was so good to be able to, to hear my dad's voice for even for just a brief time and even if to only realize that he just wanted more money from Scott and me so that I'm sure he could go do that. And, and he asked for money and I said, you know what, daddy, I'm not going to give you a dime if you are in crisis, we will help you. But we're not going to give you money so that you can give it to people that are going to take everything away from you. You've sold land. You've sold all your earthly possessions. You have nothing else left to your name. You are in debt now. So no. And then he said, well, gotta go. Goodbye. I grieved over that. I mean, wrenched my gut and then I go sit behind my desk and I work on a judgment sermon talking about blame and the whole point of today is to realize that we can't see things with the eyes of God only God can but we are called to try and so when we start talking about blame and judgment, we have to look at a bigger picture. And just like Mac was encouraged to look at the life of the killer, to think about the life of the killer who killed his little girl and that that man was an abused person. Hurting people hurt people. So there was stuff that made him do that. I started thinking back to what that sheriff told me a couple of years ago about the people that were taking advantage of my father. The FBI traced it. This is not something that happens only to my dad. And apparently there's been a couple of senior adults in Caldwell County that this has happened to and they've lost everything, which is similar to my father. Lost everything. The group that is doing it, they were traced to international waters off of the coast of Jamaica. That there is a money trafficking ring and they exist on huge ships and they're Located. I mean, they know where they are and then they get partners in the United States that will call and learn about these people and prey on them. My father's a military man, so these folks call him and talk to him about the military, tug at his heart. And so he's convinced that they want his best interest. Now, the irony of that is off the coast of Jamaica. Jamaica's the first place I ever went internationally. It's the first international mission trip I was ever a part of and it was the first time I ever saw poverty 
in a very, very, very real and humbling way. You think Jamaica, oh, it's so beautiful uh, for about one strip, yeah. And if you even look on the other side of the street from these beautiful resorts, you will see poverty and drug trafficking. So I was forced on Wednesday because I was prepping for this message to look at these people that are taking advantage of my father from a different light. I'm angry at them. It disgusts me. And I do think they embody human evil. But I don't know what their circumstance is like. And odds are, they live in that poverty. That I gave a huge part of my life to go fight, right? In the book of John, we see the heart of God. So I want you to hear this. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. In the morning, he came to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, teacher, this woman was called in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women What do you say? They said this to test Jesus so that they may have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote it with his finger in the sand. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, and he says to us, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground, When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with this woman standing before him. And Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And he said, neither do I. Go your way. And from now on, just don't do it again. That shows us the heart of God. May we pray. Gracious God, we can't see each other with your eyes, but we can try. And when we find ourselves in circumstances that are difficult and circumstances that cause us pain, God, help us find redemption in that pain Help us to remember that your eyes are eyes of love and that you're ultimately the only judge. That's not up to us, that's up to you. But you teach us not to cast stones at one another and not to see the the sin and the things that we judge and blame in one another, but to offer one another love. Help us to see as you would have us to see. And God, thank you for loving us so much that you see past all of our inadequacies. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want you to take a look at this this clip from the shack, this quote. Return from your independence. Give up being judge and know God for who God is. Then you'll be able to embrace God's love in the midst of your pain. Instead of pushing him away with your self-centered perception of how you think the universe should be, 
God crawled inside of your world to be with you. And God's grace is enough. So go and be a people of God's amazing grace this week. In the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, go in peace.